please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Now we're continuing with a series on the book of Matthew, and as we have come to chapter 5, we come to the Sermon on the Mount. And in this message to Christ's disciples, the Lord Jesus Christ shares with us how we're to behave as followers of the Messiah, followers of the King. We have seen the Beatitudes, which share with us uh, just a, a clear presentation of the type of character, the type of behavior that we're to evidence. We've also seen the salt and light passage, which we considered last week, that shares with us that we are to be representatives of Jesus Christ in this lost world, and we do so by practically living these kingdom values. But now as we come to the 17th verse of this passage, we find Christ speaking of Himself. He shares with us that He came to perfectly fulfill the law and the prophets. Now, why does He share this at this juncture in the Sermon on the Mount? I believe that Jesus is sharing this because He has been doing ministry for enough time that the Pharisees, a group in stark opposition to Jesus as the Messiah and what He was teaching, began to make false accusations about Christ. They started saying that He had come to upset the apple cart, that basically He wanted to overturn all of Scripture because He didn't practice it the way they thought that He should and the way that they did. So really, it's an accusation that is leveled against Christ that Christ is answering clearly as He shares His view on the Scripture. Now, rather than just looking at this as a historical setting that talks about Jesus' values and how He behaved, we need to also look a little deeper and understand some principles, some takeaways from this passage that I think we will grow as a result of learning. And that first principle is this, we need to have a high view of Scripture just as Jesus does. We're going to see that as we go through this text, Jesus lifted up the Scriptures he came to complete the law and the prophets, not to overturn them. And then, secondarily, we also want to see the importance of lifting up the principles of God rather than the traditions of man. And we're going to see that toward the latter part of this passage that we're looking into. So that's where we're going. Let's go ahead and dive in together as we look at this text. Jesus Christ came for the completion of the law and the prophets, and it is found in Him. Notice verse 17, and it shares with us that Christ came not to abolish but to fulfill. Look at what it says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Now, what is Christ communicating to His disciples? And then because it's in the Word of God, more specifically, what is Christ communicating with us. As I said earlier, the opponents of our Lord's ministry in His day were making an accusation against Him, that He was there to overturn all that the Old Testament had to say. And what a mischaracterization of what Christ was doing. When we look at Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, 
There's a repeated phrase that we find often in their writings, these gospel writers. And that phrase is, he fulfilled the scripture. It points back to the Old Testament and the prophecies that so many of those people who were moved along by the Holy Spirit had made concerning the Christ. And it shares with us that Jesus came and fulfilled those promises, those prophecies about who Messiah would be and what Messiah would do. And so Jesus, in a very real way, fulfilled the Scripture by fulfilling those prophecies. But there's more. You see, he not only mentions the fulfillment of the prophets, which are indications that indeed he is the Messiah, proofs that he is the Messiah. What he also fulfilled was the law. When we look at the Old Testament law, basically it is a picture of how a righteous person lives. It is there to communicate with us that righteousness is revealed by God, not developed and made up by man. And if we're really going to know right from wrong, we have to look to God's revelation, not to man's rationalizations. And so Jesus fulfilled the law by perfectly observing what God revealed a righteous man is to do. When the opponents of Jesus were accusing him of abolishing the law, that word abolish is a strong word in the original language. It's a word that communicates the idea of tearing completely down. For instance, if a building were abolished, using that word in the original language, it meant that it was leveled. It was brought to the ground, completely torn down. That's the idea of this word abolish. When it was used of a system, it meant to completely overturn the system, to nullify it. Jesus' purpose was never to take the law and nullify the law. He wanted to demonstrate righteousness because Jesus Christ is righteous. For many in Jesus' day, they believed that righteousness could be achieved by observing the law, and yet no one pulled it off. Everyone failed. What we find in Jesus is one who was perfectly able to keep every aspect of the law with perfection. He is the spotless Lamb of God without blemish. The concept that a man by his own effort could keep the law apart from Christ is never what God intended for the law. As a matter of fact, Paul says this in the book of Romans, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now, let's put that into plain English. What Paul is saying there is this, God demonstrates a righteousness that isn't found by keeping the requirements that God reveals in the Scripture. There is a righteousness that is apart from the law. Now, look at what it goes on to say. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is a commonality that we all share, and that commonality is this, we all fall short. 
No one keeps what God has revealed to be right with perfection. But then it goes on to say this in verse 24, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What it's saying is this, Jesus Christ paid a price to bring us to the place of right standing with God. We couldn't accomplish it on our own. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't observe what God had called us to observe on our own. So what God did was He made a way for us through the provision of His perfect Son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And notice it goes on to say in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation means satisfaction. So here's the idea. Sin brings us into the place to where we are not right with God. And the result of not being right with God is death. But Jesus Christ lived a perfect life of righteousness. He fulfilled the law. And when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, He became our substitute. His blood provided the way for us to find forgiveness from God and right standing with Him. And the way that we receive that is very simply by faith. So this is what God wants us to grasp. That Christ didn't come to overturn the law, He came to fulfill it. And part of fulfilling the law and the prophets was the cross. You see, the law and the prophets pointed to man's need, but it also pointed to God's solution, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Christ came, He fulfilled that. The Apostle Paul said this to the Galatians, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, now look at this part, verse 24. The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The revelation of God's right standing, the revelation of what it is to live right before God, doesn't in any way bring us into right standing with God as we try to accomplish it, because we can't. What it does is it points us to Jesus Christ. It is our tutor to lead us to Him, to show us God's provision for the sin that we've committed. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the perfect Lamb of God without spot, without blemish. He is the one who kept the law with perfection. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Look at those last three words. Yet without sin. So this is what Jesus does in accomplishing the law. He didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them, and that's what he did through prophecy and through performing the requirements of the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law with perfection. But then we move into the next statement that Jesus makes to his disciples. He's not there to diminish the law. He's not there to overturn it. But he is one who respects the law because it is the revelation of God. Look carefully at verse 18. 
And notice what the Scripture says, for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What Jesus is saying here is stark. He didn't come to abolish the law. Why? Because the law can't be abolished. Not a jot or a tittle will pass away. What does that mean? Many of you learned it that way. I went back to my King James roots when I said a jot or a tittle. Here it's a dot or an iota. When we look in the original language, the idea of this passage is we need to hold a high view of God's Scripture. We need to not view it as something that is time-oriented, culture-oriented, in the moment. We need to view the Word of God as something that is lasting, that is the very revelation of God's truth. You see, we view Scripture in this way, first of all, because Scripture is inspired. The Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed, out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is not a collection of stories written by men. This is the very Word of God. It was something that God brought for our understanding. It is a revelation of His truth. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is upholding the Word of God as something that is alive and true and lasting. Peter said this, In his second letter, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke, now look at this, from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God that we have cannot be overturned because it is a spiritual thing that God has done. It is a revelation of His truth. And what the Word of God is reminding us of is this, that the Holy Spirit guided those who wrote the Scripture. That word moved along is often used of a picture of wind in a sails moving a ship. In other words, here's the idea. God directed them. We in this church believe in the verbal inspiration of Scripture. In other words, we believe that Scripture is the accurate reflection of the very Word of God, His truth. Now, that is true of the original manuscripts. In other words, the Scripture was written on some sort of medium, paper, or in some cases in the Old Testament, clay, In the New Testament, the Scripture was written on animal skins or papyrus. The original manuscripts were the very perfect reflection of the Word of God. But here's what we need to recognize. We do not have the original manuscripts. We have copies of the manuscripts. But here's another aspect of God's work. God not only inspired the Scripture, but He preserves the Scripture. And what we have is the beauty of tens of thousands of manuscripts that were copied meticulously 
by people who wanted to be as accurate as they possibly could be. And so what we're able to do is have Scripture that is based on those manuscripts where we can compare manuscript against manuscript and come up with a reliable, accurate Scripture that we can hold with authority over us and anyone who reads it. This is the Word of God. And as followers of God, what we need to understand is God is at work in its preparation. Now, here's the question. What did Jesus mean when He said, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished? We might put it this way. God will dot every I and cross every T when it comes to the fulfillment of Scripture. It's a way of speaking a saying, if you will, that is communicating to us that every aspect of the law will be fulfilled. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, can count on the fact that when God says it, it will be done. It will be accomplished. And we can rest in that fact that the Word of God never changes. It amazes me that so many people will look at the Word of God and they will say, yeah, well, that's what It was for them, but I'm not really worried about it. Times have changed. God's Word remains true. His truth remains in effect. The revelation of God is there for us to give us a glimpse into what awaits us, to give us proof of the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that Jesus lived out to identify Him as the Messiah so that we can know Him and worship Him. This is the purpose of the Word of God. But you know, it also has a personal purpose. The Word of God is given to us to guide us in the way that we live. Isn't it easy for us to just go it alone And make it up as we go along and sort of have that situation ethic that dictates in this situation, this is what I'll do, but I'm not going to do the same thing all the time. I'm going to be inconsistent. God's Word calls us to consistency because it is the revelation of God. So we need to take a high view of Scripture in the sense that I look to Scripture as my guide as that which will direct me and lead me in what God would have me do and how I would behave. God wants us to grasp the importance of Scripture in this way. It is the Word of God that lasts when all else fails. In fact, Peter said this in his first letter, "'All flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass.'" The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains for how long? Forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Listen, God's word is there for the long haul. We've seen ideas, philosophies, thought processes spring up, come and go. We've seen spiritual leaders come and go. The word of God lasts forever. And I believe that's what Jesus is communicating here to His disciples. The law will not pass away.
until fulfilled. Now, we come to the latter part of this passage, verse 19, and we see Jesus begin to address some of the critics who were saying that he came to abolish the law. And what we find in verses 19 and 20 are corrections to the misunderstandings of those who were talking about God's commands. And what we find in verse 19 was one mischaracterization, and it was they were categorizing Scripture as lesser or greater commands, and that's wrong. See, Jesus had a system that He had to go up against, one that had been developed by those who were spiritual leaders within the Jewish community, and it was a system that benefited them. It was a system that kept them in power. It was a system that gave them the ability to play fast and loose with rules when they wanted to, but also to come up with other rules that they would be very strict on. Jesus had to speak against this. Have you ever played a game where as the game goes on, the person who is teaching you the game continually and conveniently remembers or forgets rules, generally to benefit the individual, right? I've been accused of that by my dear wife. (laughs) But we all know how that feels, right? Oh, wait a minute. How come you get all the benefits from the rules and, and I get none? You know, that's not right. That's not fair. Well, that's what these Jewish leaders were doing when it came to the law. They would isolate on certain laws and diminish their importance, and they would elevate other laws and increase their importance. So look at what Jesus says in verse 19. It says this, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, he will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So what was going on culturally when this was stated by the Lord Jesus Christ. The rabbis of Jesus' day grouped all of the commands into heavy commands and light commands. They got to call which were which. You know, when we look at this, we say, how could they? But sometimes as Christians, don't we do the same thing? Ah, that's not really that big a deal. It's not really that important. But this over here, oh, man, that's serious. God was really serious when he said that, right? We fall into the same trap. What the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us is this. Don't do that. The moral boundaries that God puts into place are just that, moral boundaries. And by renaming or redefining a sin, it never becomes less than a sin, As a matter of fact, sin is sin. Later in the 23rd chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to point out many of the ways that the Pharisees did this. So many of the Pharisees were coming up with laws that would give them allowances to lie, to mislead, to cheat people, to intimidate people. This system that was put into place guided and directed by the Pharisees, had become a very unfair thing. So Jesus was speaking against that right here in the Sermon on the Mount. He was telling them that they are not 
to minimize some and elevate others. And that's very much like what James tells us. James says this, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty for all of it. Ow! Let that sink in a minute. If I think my good works will someday outweigh my bad works and that will get me into right standing with God, I am absolutely wrong in that concept. It's all or none. It's perfection or nothing. That's the standard of God's law. Why? God knew that we would never keep the law with perfection. As we saw earlier, it was to point us to our need of Christ, His provision for our sin, to provide a righteousness that we can't achieve on our own. This is what Jesus did. And so here He's calling out these leaders who were making up rules that were attached to the law but were not leading to righteousness. Here's something else. Look at it, what it goes on to say, and it gives us the flip side of that. Whoever does, not, uh, whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So here you have some who are redefining it. Here you have others who will do them, but guess what? Nobody does them. We all fail, so there has to be another way for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and that way is... Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King. He is our path to going into the kingdom. The last part of this passage shares again what the Pharisees were doing. You see, in reality, it wasn't Jesus who was abolishing the law, it was the Pharisees. They were coming up with man made rules. And what verse 20 shares with us is this, commitment to external man-made rules is wrong. Now look at this 20th verse carefully with me. It says this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we look at this and we have a perspective on the scribes and the Pharisees where we say they're the bad guys, right? We look at them because of the context of our time and the Word and the way that the Word presents them, and we say they're terrible people, awful human beings. That was not the perception of the first century. The people in Jesus' time would have looked and said, well, if there's anyone righteous, it's the Pharisees, and if you don't believe me, just go ask one of them, <laughs> right? That was the perspective that people had during that time because they had painted themselves as the righteous ones. But here's the problem. Their righteousness was only external, and it was done to be seen by others. And what Jesus is telling His disciples and what He's telling us is external, outside-in change never works. You can't make up rules and apply them to yourself and to others and have right standing with God. God has given us the rules in His rule book, the Scripture. So there has to be another way. Now, the Pharisees probably 
were good at keeping many of the laws, but they weren't perfect. And as a matter of fact, even their keeping of the law was something that was external and done to get the praise of men. We'll see that in chapter 6 in the first verse. They do things to be seen by men, not by God. No, the Pharisees were approaching it wrong because, listen, the outside-in approach to transformation never works. The Apostle Paul said this to the Colossian church, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But look at this last part. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see, we're broken from the inside and it demonstrates itself on the outside. So if all I do is polish up and clean up the outside, guess what? I still have that messed up inside. It isn't until God transforms the inside through the gospel that I can find victory in these things. So this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were seeking to have this righteousness that could be seen by men. And what Jesus is saying to his people is this. You need to be righteous in a much more profound way than the Pharisees if you ever want to see the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul said this to the Galatians, For all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. Now that's very clear, isn't it? If I'm saying I will be good enough for God to accept me, I remain under a curse. Here's why. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So, Here's the thing. I can approach God and I can say, God, I'm going to have a relationship with you. And that relationship is going to be based on my performance. And God says, okay, if you want to approach me in that way, there it is. Go ahead. But here's the problem. I have to do it all with perfection. I thank God that my relationship with Him isn't based on my personal performance. It is based on on the provision of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for my sin. And that's what Paul goes on to say in this text. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. In other words, again, that standard of perfection, if you want life, you got to hit it. No one is justified by their personal performance. And then look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now this is another way of talking about the substitution of Jesus Christ where He accepted the penalty for my sin by going to the cross. And it's based on Old Testament Scripture that says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. Jesus accepted my curse when he died on the cross. And what did that do? Jesus says that your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, and Jesus provides that for us. 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake He made Him, He referring to God, Him referring to Christ. He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You know what the Scripture is telling us? The only way I have right standing with God is through Jesus Christ, who accepted my penalty when He died on the cross. And the payment of His death on the cross delivers me from the curse of sin and makes me righteous before a holy God. And that, my friends, is the only path to righteousness. You do not find it in personal performance. You find it in God's provision. And God's provision is given to us by grace. We receive grace humbly by faith. And we remove personal performance from the formula. I'm so thankful for this passage of Scripture and others like it because I know full well, no matter how hard I try, I sin. But God has made a way to overcome that. And it's successful every time someone turns in faith to Jesus Christ, they are made righteous. So there's an invitation that God gives to all. Come into right standing with me through Jesus Christ. Let me extend that invitation to you this morning. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've been saying, I can be good enough to have right standing with God, I can earn my way into God's favor, you're on the wrong path, not my words, but the words of Scripture. Let me invite you, at the close of the service, I'll be at the back door. Just take some time to mention that you have a question. We can slip off to the side, and I would love the opportunity to talk with you about how you can know that you have right standing with God on the basis of Scripture. If you'd rather talk to TJ or to Dan, either one of them would be more than happy to share that same truth with you, or Jim, who did the Scripture reading. Any one of us are available after the service. We would love to have that chance to talk with you. And don't worry about the business meeting. It should be about five minutes. (laughs) We would be happy to talk with you uh, right after that about how you can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the provision of Jesus and the fact that He came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. We thank You that as followers of Christ, we can be delivered from the consequences of the law and its condemnation. Father, thank You for Your love and grace and acceptance of us through Jesus when we come to Him by faith. And I pray, God, that if there's one here this morning that questions their standing with you and their approach to righteousness, that they will take the time to talk with one of us after the service. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.